0: Sirius XM presents Stanford Pathfinders.
1: Stanford has 225,000 alumni living all over the globe in 151 countries. And they're some of the most amazing people you would ever want to meet.
0: A show about how the graduates of Stanford University are changing our lives and the
1: world. We'll hear very interesting things from business leaders in the technology sector, but well beyond that, the worlds of politics, entertainment, business, and beyond.
0: Inspiring stories from America's innovation heartland.
1: It's a place where people look to the future, not to the past, where they don't rest on their laurels. Think about the gold rush. Think about Stanford being formed in the late 1800s. And then Stanford was the beginning of Silicon Valley and the ethos of Silicon Valley is deeply embedded in the Stanford spirit. It's a spirit of innovation, experimentation. It's a spirit of being willing to try new things and risk failure as long as you fail forward. Welcome to Stanford Pathfinders.
0: Men's were entrepreneur and co-founder of Bonobos. The only idea that I had that was, you know, really a, what I thought was a cool, authentic idea was to make a better p- fitting pair of trousers. A game changer and changing the way men shop. Sending you a box of clothes from all different kinds of vendors. And the idea was guys hate shopping,
1: but love to look good. This week on Stanford Pathfinders, Brian Spaley. Now, here's your host, Howard Wolf. The Stanford Graduate School of Business is a jewel in Stanford's crown. Although one of Stanford's smaller schools, its reputation is grand, very grand. This is partly due to the GSB's many well-regarded programs, master's, MBA, PhD, that are not only highly selective from an admission standpoint, but deeply valued by countless employers looking for talent in the management and leadership marketplace. But the GSB's stellar reputation is also due to the wonderfully intelligent and decidedly ambitious graduates it develops, and the amazing things these grads go on to do with the toolset they develop while students. Today's guest on Stanford Pathfinders, Brian Spaley, has used his GSB toolset with particular acumen and aplomb. But he didn't do this in an industry that normally attracts a ton of attention from business school students. Instead, he did it in an industry that is as fickle as Stanford's GSB is grand, the world of fashion and men's fashion. As founder of Bonobos and later CEO of Trunk Club, Brian Spaley has been on the cutting edge of the burgeoning world of online fashion sales for men. And in so doing, he has disrupted the entire industry. Menswear will never be the same again. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So after graduating from Princeton back in 2000 and then working for five years in consulting, finance, M&A, the normal path, you made your way west to Stanford's graduate school of business. Thank you for coming. Um, but when you entered the GSB in 2005, what did you think your path was going to be leaving the GSB?
0: So it's a great question. You know, the famous Stanford Business School essay question is like, what means mo- what matters most to you and why? Got it. And when you answer that, at least that, that was the essay question forever. And certainly when I applied, and I remember telling a tale about um, a bunch of things that mattered to me that were sort of more personal and then professionally that I wanted to um, have an impact on the world through capitalism by building companies that solved problems. And at the time I was... Um, I was the VP of M&A at a healthcare services company, Home Healthcare. So our business model, we were based in Austin, Texas. We had 1,000 nurses that were going to people's homes and caring for them in their homes as opposed to having them stuck in a hospital. And anyone who spent any time in a hospital knows that you want to get out of there as quickly as you can. So to be exposed to this neat, growing, profitable business that was also giving people A better experience was like my first exposure to seeing how entrepreneurship, and at the time I was working for a private equity firm, we acquired this business, gave it growth capital, um, helped them recruit more members of the management team, and this was the thing I did right before coming here. So I had this experience where I, I saw like a really neat company solving a real problem. At the same time, I had spent the last few years learning to sew my own pants because I had a very personal problem, which is I couldn't find pants that fit. Because I grew Okay, up- hold on a second.
1: Let's just back up. You were sewing your own your own pants. In
0: 2003, I was a private equity analyst at Parthenon Capital. I think my official title was associate. I was living in Boston at the time in 2003. And my girlfriend who lived- uh, two blocks away in Beacon Hill had a sewing machine that she brought over to my house and taught me how to use so that I could start tailoring my own trousers because none of them fit the way I wanted them to fit. And why did they not fit? Because I well I I have what like uh, what is affectionately referred to as like a hockey butt right like the 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 uh, uh, an athletic build with a narrower waist and certainly at the time as I've uh, gotten older and had kids I've probably softened up around the edges but I. <laughs> I I could I could tell that pants were not really made to fit my physique and I never really understood why. And so in 2003 and 4, I just started solving the problem myself. And then I matriculate to Stanford in 2005, and there's this rich culture of studying entrepreneurship and learning about entrepreneurship and of course being Stanford in the middle of Silicon Valley, much of that talk Surrounds technology, technology companies, software companies, hardware, and and frankly, I found it all fascinating. But the only idea that I had that was, you know, really what I thought was a cool, authentic idea was to make a better p- fitting pair of trousers. So I sort of bent the entrepreneurship curriculum. to to fit into me learning about building an apparel company, which I think still remains a a
1: less common path here at Stanford. I'm sorry. Did you say a less common path? It's unheard of, right? So what did your classmates think when you said, I'm thinking about doing this full time and going into apparel and really creating a company in that space? They they think you were crazy? Well, it's it's interesting. You know, uh,
0: there... There's
1: really two things that enabled
0: me to become an entrepreneur, right? And and I think anybody who's imagining, like, do I have what it takes to go start a business? You kind of have to have an idea that you're just really passionate about. And and everybody's got ideas of things they'd change about the world, right? And so mine was, like, better-fitting trousers. And I had a bunch of other crazy ideas. But the the one that I, I spent a lot of time thinking about, most of my classmates didn't have pants that fit, I put together an independent study team the third quarter of my first year, so spring of 2006, and had three classmates join me to interview as many of our guy classmates as possible, go into their closet, um, you know, IDEO style, very hands-on analysis. Design and desi- thinking. Design thinking. Yeah. And what we determined was nobody had a pair of pants that they really loved. Nobody's khakis fit well, guys. Mostly defaulted to jeans, and only some had really figured out. Remember, this is two thousand five and six, that like there were better denim companies serving men. Uh, we were moving on from from Levi's and Lucky Jeans to things like A.G. and Seven and and. Uh, fidelity and other great denim brands but the the only way i got from this is a fun idea and i have a sewing machine i tinker with oh did you bring the sewing machine with you from from boston i didn't when i moved back out west our relationship ended and i had to give (laughs) the sewing machine back unfortunately but i brought the tailored trousers with me and the ideas with me and so i you asked Howard. Look, what did I think I would do? I thought I might go work at a growing healthcare services business yeah. and eventually become a leader of one of those businesses, maybe a CEO of private equity-backed healthcare services businesses. I learned that I enjoyed um, being with the entrepreneurs more than I enjoyed being with the private equity investors in that journey. I, I just I felt like I I wanted to be. Um, Leading a company versus just investing in companies. So I learned that prior to Stanford. I got to Stanford and I thought, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur. I had this healthcare idea, but
1: maybe I should just make a better fitting trouser. And maybe you should address the life-changing problem of what you call khaki diaper butt.
0: Right. What is that? So it's it's Jim Harbaugh, circa two thousand five, on the sidelines, right? It's it's the it's the um, baggy Dockers khakis that fit like uh, coveralls and were the least flattering uh, trousers on earth, and, right. and and guys just didn't know any better, and 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 in Europe and in Australia and New Zealand, like men have been dressing better for a very long time, so you didn't have to go far to see that there were examples of people you know walk around in in Rome in in 1999 and men's trousers fit slim and attractive and they're snapping around on scooters and pounding macchiatos and riding cycle <laughs> you know ri- riding bikes with like Cool, cool spandex. Like it wasn't like I came up with some brand new idea. I just was I was I was shocked. I, I think we were in the maybe the first inning of a secular shift in America where men were going to just start caring a lot more about every aspect of their appearance. And you're seeing it today with skin care and hair care and, you know, Botox, I think originally came out to serve the the um, you know, primarily thought it would be a, a a procedure that women, you know, took. And now I think men are, are a really big part of that market. Right. All right. It, so,
1: so let's go back to the GSB. So you're at the Graduate School of Business of Stanford. You're learning all about entrepreneurship. You're doing this due diligence and research with all of your male classmates. And you come to the conclusion that, yes, the world needs a better pair of khakis, a right. better sense of pants, pants that fit better a la Europe. And then you decide, not only do you think that there's a need, but I'm going to start a business. So right. tell us this became Bonobos. Yeah. So tell us about the beginnings of Bonobos.
0: Well, so there are a, a couple of key parts of the story. Um, at the time, in 2006, it, it, there were not nearly as many resources available to entrepreneurs wanting to make products and build product companies. Today, the direct to consumer, digitally native brands, um, sector is flourishing and there is a better everything from erectile dysfunction medicine to hair care products to socks to subscription box for things for your for your dog to you name it there's there's thousands of these companies now in 2005 they didn't exist and so it was a little harder to find a place to buy fabric and buy zippers and labels and a small cut and sew shop that could actually manufacture garments. And to do that while I was a student at Stanford, was, it was a longer putt. But I found basically versions of all those resources. There was a cut and sew shop um, called SJ. Seymour uh, Jerome was the um, – the proprietor it was across the street from Pac Bell Park which is now I don't know what the name is now but AT&T, across yes. from the, where the Giants play yes. and I would drive up there and bring Seymour fabric and zippers and he had a small team and Hong Ning was the woman who ran his cut and sew operation she became a wonderful lifelong friend and they they made the first pairs of bonobos so I would I would drive up to San Francisco I would Pop off the highway in Soma. I would bring fabric labels, uh, colorful line, liner fabrics, and drop them off. And I'd come back in a week or two, and I would pick up twenty to thirty pairs of trousers. I'd jam them into um, reusable grocery bags and walk around Stanford's campus selling them to my classmates, who would be trying them on in the parking lot. You know, behind behind the night. All management right, so center. stop
1: right there. So the first guest I ever had on this t- on this show, Stanford Pathfinders, um, was Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. He wrote a paper that became the genesis of Nike, and he wrote that paper at the graduate school business, and he sold shoes out of the back of his car. So you're sort of a modern-day apparel version of his shoe company. That's exactly right. That's, That's exactly a pretty right. cool thing.
0: Yeah, and I mean, look, he's obviously been um, magnificently successful and 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 created a, a far, far broader audience and reach for his global brand. But I think that the principles were the same, which is, you know— I, I, um, you 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 have a guy with an idea and a desire to build it, and you just kind of figure it out. And the early products aren't that great, but the but the sales gusto is there, and you you get better with each new run, and you 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 sort of start to build build it into something that can actually take off. And I I think there's a really important part of this story that I I think is probably the greatest value that I was able to mine from the Stanford experience, which is. There, there were two things that happened in that second year here at Stanford that actually gave me the courage to go and build this brand. One was I was surrounded by great teachers of entrepreneurship. Uh, Andy Rockleff, Joel Peterson became two of the first investors in Bonobos and and wonderfully uh, well-regarded lecturers here at Stanford in the entrepreneurship curriculum teaching managing growing enterprises and formation of new ventures. So it's that rare case of like the academic curriculum, the academic experience being so relevant to the things I was trying to think through at the time. In real time. In real time and then being surrounded by this magnificent friendly network of other students at Stanford broadly and also more specifically in the in the business school who just think it's cool to go start a company. And so that language that vernacular that that courage that it, you know it, it, maybe it takes a little bit less um you know I, it 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 just feels like this is a place where you can take that risk and fail, and and the journey is celebrated as much as the result. All right, so where'd the name come from? Well, I was reading, um, actually, was reading an article in the New Yorker about something or other, and and came across this the, this chimpanzee, the, the bonobo, that lives primarily in the Congo and um, in, in Africa, and it's a chimpanzee that um, ha, is a it's a a promiscuous animal that has a lot of sex and never really fights and they just solve their problems through having sex. And I thought, this is a cool name and that is a cool dynamic. Like what a great, what a great way to solve problems. Like there's no war, there's no fighting. Everybody, when there's conflict, they just resort to sex as a way to, to, to de-stress the situation. And I, I thought, well, that's, that's pretty cool. This, this oh, I've be, heard a
1: lot of founder stories by names. That is, that takes the cake.
0: And, and and so at the time, and so the other big part of this this whole dynamic, which which is, I I don't think I ever would have been able to take the risk of like jumping out and starting a company without having a best friend and roommate at the time. Who was encouraging me? So I lived with this guy, Andy Dunn. We we had a share house, but he had been my roommate the first year at Schwab, and then my, the second year we stayed together and became best friends. And Andy ultimately, at the end of our our Stanford experience, joined the company as co-founder and and deserves an enormous amount of the credit for what Bonobos actually became. But I think he would also tell you, like, it, it all kind of started because we were together. Supporting each other to take risks and to go off and try to do something creative. And Andy wanted to start a company, wanted to think about building cool consumer brands. And frankly, I, I just don't think, I think his courage and bravery around taking a risk coming out of this school, without
1: that, I never would have had the courage to do it myself. Fascinating. All right. So you leave Stanford in 2007. Yeah. And you really launched Bonobos for real, because here you are, this is your job. This is your future.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Andy Andy basically joined me as co-founder and equal partner as we finished school. And so the early tinkering, like the making the product, the having that insight, the coming up with a name, the running up and down to the garment district on my own, like making the first, you know, 30 to 50 pairs of pants. That was just me with this crazy idea. It really didn't become a business until Andy said, this is going to be something awesome and I want to be part of it. Would you have me join as your like Truly equal
1: co-founder, and after that happened, we were off to the races. All right, off to the races. First couple of years, most exciting parts about growing a business like Bonobos. What was? What, what do you look back at and think that was totally cool?
0: Well, you know what, what was interesting is we we quickly realized we needed to be in New York, not California. We needed to be in a garment district where there were all the resources that uh, companies that are that are making products brands creating apparel and designing apparel the infrastructure didn't exist in the bay area for that really for us to scale and so we we relocated the business to new york in the fall of 2007 and so we're you know 30 years old living in manhattan building a consumer business and growing what has basically i think many would say is the first digitally native like direct to consumer online brand and the, the, there was no shopify at the time i mean andy had to go out and recruit engineers to build a website that we could sell stuff on these days the resources that you can just plug and play none of that existed so it it was it was really early with frontier days for um for the dtc consumer world and super fun because of that we were kind of figuring everything out and i think for me the ability to make a physical product and turn around and sell it and leverage the internet and technology, which was rapidly developing for our go-to-market strategy, it was just it was just awesome. It was so exciting. I mean, every day was fascinating. We worked all the time. We worked at night. We worked on weekends. But we were selling pants and we wore them every day and we, we were creating a brand. And uh, it was just a magnificently um, inspiring time to be, you know, kind of, Trying to build something and, and Andy well remembers this story of um, cashing some checks for uh, a seed or angel round we had raised on the same day that Lehman Brothers went bankrupt oh. and so here we are in Manhattan, many of our close friends are working in the financial industry as things are melting down in two thousand and eight and and we 're just we 're just making as many pants as we can sell on the <laughs> internet right and, and so it was just a different it was a different it was a departure for both of us having both done consulting, then private equity, then the business school. And I, you know, I never really looked back.
1: This is Stanford Pathfinders. I'm Howard Wolf. More with Brian Spaley, online shopping pioneer next on SiriusXM. XM. This is Stanford Pathfinders. I'm Howard Wolf, and I'm speaking with Brian Spaley, online shopping pioneer. So you left Bonobos, however, after three years because you ended up having a conflict with Andy. That's right. And, and I just, I want to learn from that experience. What did you learn from that experience and how do you look back on that?
0: Well, I. to be fair, um, I'm really proud of the way we handled it. Okay. It was an amicable divorce. It was hard. It was difficult. But it was my first first time having like a pretty... Um, a founder split is in many ways as hard as a marriage. There are employees, there are investors, there are stakeholders, just like there are children and, and relatives. And I, I'm I'm really proud of the way we handled it. And, and look, we've both I think had had really nice runs since then. What I learned about myself was I had I had a long way to go in terms of becoming a manager and a leader. And the experiences I had at at a consulting firm, a high-end management consulting firm, and a very successful middle-market private equity firm, did not teach me how to lead, recruit, and manage a team of people in an in industry like apparel or footwear, which is what I've been doing for the last you know decade plus now. And I think I think frankly, um, there were examples of of classmates and friends who did have really good management and leadership experience, and they were people that had been teachers or had worked in the military and had platoons
1: and gone to war in Iraq and, and developed their emotional intelligence as much as their intellectual intelligence.
0: I think that's right, but it's not just EQ it's pattern recognition around what does it mean to have somebody work on your team? And um, they say it really well at Nordstrom, a company that I became part of when they acquired trunk club. It's if you're a leader there, you talk about who do you support, not who works for you, but who do you support? And that paradigm of servant leadership was foreign to me i didn 't have great role models for it I, I, frankly I just hadn 't worked for people that were super inspiring leaders before i'd worked for great investors i 'd worked for awesome consultants and many of whom were very well rounded intelligent people but i hadn 't worked at some amazing company like for uh, you know like a John Donahoe right and John was running Bain when I was there, and he's uh, someone I really look up to uh, yeah, he, Irv, Irv Grossbeck, Joel Peterson, guys that I had met on the campus here, people who had led great companies I really looked up to. But I hadn't worked for those guys. And Andy and I just didn't know that much about management and leadership. And I think I think that's really what broke up the stress that came with that and the challenges of trying to do it while, while frankly, being very good founders and good fundraisers. That that created a um, an internal strife and challenge that was, was well solved by just having one of us get out of the way. And I give Andy a ton of credit for what a gentleman he was, the way he handled it, the way he wished me well and sent me off into the world a, as a friend. And, and uh, you know, I was just so lucky that I got the chance to take on Trunk Club within a couple of months after leaving Bonobo. So here I am. Yeah, so let's it's talk two, about that. It's 2009. I leave. I leave – uh, bonobos I, I have to call my mom and say I'm leaving the company I founded because Found I failed as a manager and that that's a lot and I had 350 classmates who thought of bonobos is my business because I was the one hustling around campus selling them out of these grocery bags and you know they, they knew and greatly respected Andy and I think everybody knows that without Andy this never would have even gotten off the ground but it was my early identity at our school and many of my close friends were those classmates and it, I suffered a lot of ignominy having those conversations and so something else I learned which is probably the most important lesson I've learned in my entire life is it's okay to fail just own it Admit it. Be vulnerable about it. Talk about it. Get some help if you need it, and then get back out there on the field and put some points on the board. And learn from it. And learn from it. And so I, I sat down with Joel Peterson right after I left Bonobos, and I asked for Joel's help. Joel's a faculty and member
1: here at Stanford, a mentor to many, 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 GSB and alumns. and
0: frankly, just a a towering, a towering figure of warmth, leadership gratitude, empathy. I mean, he, he's just got it all. And he said to me, Brian, this is really easy. I'm sorry, Bonobos didn't work out for you and Andy. I love you both. Whatever you do next, I'm going to support you. Go out there and put some
1: points on the board. All right. And you did that with Trunk Club. I did. You become the CEO of Trunk Club. Tell us about Trunk Club and what it was and what attracted you. So
0: at so Bonobos, the problem we were solving is guys, guys could not find pants that fit them well. And we solved that problem. We made a better fitting pant and and through a lot of Andy's uh, vision, we we only sold it online. We built a great digital brand and, and digitally native brand. And I'm really proud of the way a lot of guys, including you, Howard, look, wearing our product. <laughs> you're, you're a big Bonobos customer. We're grateful for the support. And I think, I think we solved a problem. At Trunk Club, the problem was slightly different. The problem was not just pants. Remember, it's 2009 when I joined a, a fledgling business that had one full-time employee, Trunk Club, at the time based in, in Bend, Oregon. Trunk Club was... Sending you a box of clothes from all different kinds of vendors, and the idea was guys hate shopping but love to look good. So a similar theme, help helping men on the journey to becoming more well dressed, and frankly, the esteem that comes with that, and the enjoyment of like having a nice wardrobe. A, a, I I think that was a that was a a big cause for me to go and and work on, and and frankly, an area where I just had a ton of of excitement and enthusiasm to help guys. And Trunk Club was doing the whole package, not just better fitting, you know, khakis or or work pants, but blazers, dress shirts, casual wear, date night, shoes, outerwear. So what what I got the chance to do at Trunk Club was basically create a way to solve three different problems guys had. Don't have access to shopping, don't enjoy it or don't have time for it, and then lastly, don't really know what
1: they're doing. A lot of listeners are thinking about becoming entrepreneurs. They're listening to your story, and you are a serial entrepreneur of tremendous success. So two or three tips that entrepreneurs should keep in mind as they think about whether to start a company. Sure. My
0: my first piece of advice is the one I always give would-be entrepreneurs. It's make a list of problems you'd like to solve, and then think about which ones you could tackle without having to have two decades and an enormous amount of capital. Because we're not all Elon Musk, right? You know, space travel is not something that's very easy to figure out. Now, with a win like Tesla under your belt, I think you can take on the world's biggest challenges. But for me, you know, I I, I was living in Austin prior to Stanford, and I was really frustrated about how few direct flights there were to travel from Austin. I was not going to start an airline to try to solve that problem. Too much capital, too much time. But I, I also couldn't find pants that fit, and it, it took about $30,000 in startup capital to get those first 30 pairs of pants made, a, and, and like the very early stages. I think the advice would be, fail fast, cheaply, which you hear It's a good adage. It's, it's like, if you have an idea, try to figure out if it works without having to quit your job, mortgage your house, and put your entire life on the lane for five years before you
1: even know if there's product market fit. Perfect. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Stanford Pathfinders on SiriusXM. Listen to this and other episodes anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app.